We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is episode 402, and I am honored today to have Tom Sherrington, who is a former principal and teacher and is now a writer and a trainer. He is also the co-host of the uh, podcast Mind the Gap with Emma Turner that I was on uh, a while ago, and you can hear the recording of that in episode 392 of this podcast. So I'm excited to have Tom on my podcast now. He's also the author of Teaching Walkthroughs, which is a visual step-by-step guides to essential teaching techniques by Tom himself and Oliver Cavaglioli. Welcome, Tom. So excited to have you on the podcast today. No, well, thank you very much for, for having me back. You're on mine and I'm on yours, so it's a great reciprocal arrangement. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Now, I want to talk about your walkthroughs book and and how it is a, a little different than how we're traditionally taught to do walkthroughs and observations and instructional coaching and all that kind of stuff. So can you give us uh, the overall picture of what that looks like? Yeah, so the walkthroughs book is essentially a, a visual guide to key instructional practices that we think most teachers 
uh, should know about and largely be using a, a lot of the time. Oliver is the illustrator and I'm the writer largely, although he, he does do some of the writing. And each page represents a one technique, like a questioning technique or a retrieval practice technique. And it's, it's visualized in five key steps. So that's what we've designed. And we cover things like behavior management, explaining, modeling, questioning techniques, and various other kind of things. So, and we're trying to sort of capture the essence of what great teachers do using various sources for, uh, of research and uh, referencing various other people's books to sort of say, well, this is the, a good set of ideas for teachers to use as a framework for reflecting on their practice, improving it, and so on. And we've turned it into a kind of um, a toolkit for for teachers to uh, use in their schools and for you know, anyone providing professional learning in their school to use as a kind of almost like a textbook for teachers. That's the idea. And so am I to understand correctly that each page is one teaching technique and it's five steps and every teaching technique out there is broken down into these five steps. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We had this idea that we had, we wanted to kind of uh, the, the tool to become well understood. So, it would have a repeating structure. So the five steps helps us. And so when I've been writing it, I've been sitting there thinking, okay, so when I do this thing with a questioning technique or I'm or following up from a, a, a retrieval practice thing or I'm doing a behavior management strategy, how do I do it? What do I, how, where do I begin? What do, do I do next? How do I finish it off? And it's sort of trying to deconstruct these things into teachable steps so that teachers can really get into the details. So that's it, yeah, five-step guide. So I, I write the text normally and Oliver then visualizes them in his very stylish way. Yeah, stylish is a key point because the illustrations in this are are really fantastic. Very simple, but but I really like them a lot. One thing that I appreciate that you said that you you said like it was no big deal, but I think it's really important that you break it down to a systematic way so that teachers then can go deeper and understand it themselves in different ways. And so you make it teachable by making it very simple and five steps and repeatable, but then there's depth to these instructional practices as well. And, and I know what we don't want is for teachers to become robots, but for them to see a way to do it well, and then adapt it to themselves. Is that a, a fair summary of what you said there? Yeah, definitely. So in fact, we even use that word adapt. We devised this acronym, which is adapt, A D A. PT, which means for each technique, first of all, you have to attempt it. So we're, we're keen that people don't evaluate things kind of just by you know, rejecting them or and just, say, just saying they don't really feel like it. They, they have, you've got to have a go at something to sort of really get a sense of whether it's something you can get some mileage out of. So attempt and to develop it. So sometimes, you know, because five steps is often just a, quite a skeletal framework for something. So you fill in the gaps with your class, your types of students, your subject. The adapt means like sometimes if it's a practical subject or uh, a very different situation, certain types of students, very young, very old, you might think you might have to change it quite significantly. And then practice and the P and the T for adapt, practice and test. We really think teachers should practice these strategies by getting better at them. Sometimes if you have a go at something, initially it feels a bit clunky, a little bit awkward because you're not used to asking questions in that way. But if you practice it, you get better at it. And then you can evaluate it much more uh, in a rounded way. And then the test is getting people away from just sort of saying how they feel about things and properly evaluating them through some sort of assessment. So if your students are are learning more, 
or producing higher quality work, you can get a sense that the strategies you're using are, are starting to have a bigger impact. But if you just say, yeah, I like that technique. It's good. I, I enjoy doing it. It's a bit too subjective and you don't really know if you're having the impact you'd like to be having unless you've tested it. So we, we're quite rigorous about that, but definitely we're saying make it yours. Whatever the strategies are, I, I'm just somebody, Oliver's just somebody saying, here's some su- suggestions for things which we think are good bets, but you must make it your own. You must own this or otherwise you're not really going to sustain the level of practice needed anyway. And that, that's something I found a lot as a professional coach of, of teachers is if teachers think you're telling them what to do and they don't really want to do it, <laughs> they, t- they tend not to do it anyway. I mean, you they'll play lip service to it sort of begrudgingly. So you, it just doesn't work. You've you really got to get that teacher to feel that the thing you're suggesting really is something they can sustain and, and kind of have some faith in. But just so they put the hours into really working hard on it. And I think that's an important process. Well, I really like that approach of if if teachers think you're telling them what to do, they're just not going to do it. And that that's true with students as well. Anytime a kid feels like they have to do something, they do it begrudgingly. I think pretty much human nature that we all have a little bit of resistance to being told exactly what to do and how to do it and all that kind of stuff. And so I appreciate you bringing that up. So how do you go through that process of you know, you have these super simplified teaching strategies, which I really appreciate and think that is so important that we often make them too complex and too challenging and they don't need to be like that. So making them really simple and approachable for everyone to be able to do. How does a a principal or an instructional coach then have a conversation with someone to where they will want to implement and practice those strategies that, that the principal or coach is suggesting? Well, I think the main thing, the thing that we talk about is focusing on the learning problems. It's one of our statements or one of the sort of bits of thinking that we thread through the book. Sometimes teachers are are made to think about their performance and you think, am I a good teacher because of what I do and what I say and I'm being judged as me? And and that's why why teachers get defensive because if you just video the teacher and, and think of what they're doing, is that a fair judgment of what the, of their effectiveness? Well, it often isn't because what really matters is whether the students are learning. Now, we can be right or wrong about judging the teacher's performance in isolation. But if, if you say to a teacher, look, I'm, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you get the learners to learn more. So what, what sorts of things do your students find difficult when you're teaching them? And, and the te- often teachers will say things like, well, to be honest with you, I mean, I do find it hard to get everybody with me sometimes some students fly ahead and others are struggling um sometimes i've modeled how to do something and then they still don't know how to do it and that's frustrating because i think i've explained it they still don't get it and all the teachers have real problems like that so you have to say well okay so what sorts of things could you do to help that then and then the strategies you focus on are the things which help the teacher to do their work which they are grateful for because they're thinking yeah, good idea. Maybe I'll try that because maybe that'll help me teach that student. And if you get alongside somebody and you genuinely, like really sincerely are there to try to help them solve those problems, then they feel trusted, respected, understood. And that's a totally different dynamic from I've come to watch you from the back with my clipboard and I'm critiquing your showcase. That's a world away from from what we're talking about. So we're, we're hoping that this toolkit will support that type of really earnest, sincere 
supportive professional support that which we think teachers can deserve yeah they they absolutely deserve that and all too often our processes and evaluation systems put them in a position where they're not getting that when really that's that's what every professional needs is someone who is alongside them helping them do better at what their stated goal is why do you think principals and teachers have this us versus them relationship when it comes to this kind of instructional performance and what can we do to repair that and improve it? It's an interesting question. I I have come across principals where they do have this and others who don't. I think principals are under pressure to demonstrate that their schools are doing well. So therefore they assume this is this position of taking responsibility and, um, thinking that the best way to get the best out of my staff is to be the boss and <laughs> check up on them and that kind of thing. I just think we need to sort of sell the idea to people that in terms of professional learning around pedagogy and, and practice in the classroom, the evidence isn't there for that. The evidence around professional learning is that instructional coaching of the, the nature I've described is actually the most effective. It, it gets the best outcomes. So if you want your learner, your students to learn more, and your teachers to be better, and that's your main goal. This isn't a soft approach. It's actually the most effective approach. And it's not totally without teeth in terms of it being rigorous. So if I meet you and I discuss your lesson with you and, and, uh, and earnestly trying to help you, and I say to you, so right, so what are you going to do now? And you say, well, what I think I'm going to do is this. You you kind of need to do that because <laughs> you've just said that's the thing you feel you need to do. And I'm trying to help you, but you can't just walk away from that and say, well, too bad I didn't do it. You you have to follow through. And there's a kind of accountability there. So it's not like this type of focus is kind of without any edge or pressure. It, it does have some, but it's driven by the teacher themselves, not from the administrators who are, who are just sort of walking through and, and bossing people about. So I, I think it's, you have to sell it to people on those terms. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work better. And then teachers like it because they feel supported and they, they want to stay in your school. So you keep your best staff. And also the last thing is that if a teacher is really struggling, you actually get closer to the truth of the things that will help them improve by doing this. You find out from them the way they think and the things that they find hard and they can, they're much more honest about the difficulties they experience, which then allows you to, to push them further than just by kind of judging them and giving them feedback on a piece of paper which they then you know, may or may not be the thing that which, which helps. That's what I would be saying to people. Uh, I, don't know, I, don't, I hope that answers that question. But you do need to know the individuals and, and work closely with them. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential – in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. 
That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations. If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people, but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their their own personal identity, replicated over and over and over and over, my research is already flawed ethically. Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help. What I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time um, and across space in the United States. Um, Basically, I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers, and we give them handbooks to say, hey, this is what you should be doing. What I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? To what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at cybertraps.com slash seven. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Tom Sherrington. As I mentioned in the last episode, episode 400, can you believe that? Helping you is now my full-time job, and I love it. The best part of that work is the mastermind. If you like this podcast, you'll love the mastermind. If you like learning, you will love the mastermind. And I'd love to work with you in the mastermind. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind, and let's connect. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. I think that that's really the the most important thing that you need to know who they are and what's driving them, what's motivating to them, what they see the problems are. Because if you come in and say your, your kids are acting up because you're not setting good expectations in the beginning, you know, I, I had this one teacher that I was working with who who was a great teacher, and our evaluation system required that she put the learning objective on the board, and she was. She did that half-heartedly at first. We talked about it. I built a relationship with her. She understood why we needed to do that. And then she got to a point where she was trying to do some different things in how she was teaching. And she said, I know you're coming in to do an observation today, but I I don't think that you should. And I said, well, why not? And she said, because I'm not going to put the learning objective on the board. And she said it with like this getting ready for a fight kind of a thing. And I said, well, why aren't you going to put the learning objective on the board? And she said, well, 
I want it to be an inquiry lesson. And if I put the learning objective on the board, then I'm going to spoil the whole point of why we're doing this in an inquiry way. And I said, well, why are you doing it in an inquiry-focused way? And she said, well, I want them to come to the answer themselves. I don't want to give them the answer because I want them to see that they, she was a math teacher, I want them to see that they can have a mathematical approach, that they can have a mathematical mind. And if I just, if I tell them what the objective is, they're, they're never going to do it. And I said, well, I don't think you should put the objective on the board then. And she said, but I need to for the observation. And I said, look, the, the point of the observation is not for you to like check off all the boxes. The point is for you to be a good teacher. The way you're describing the situation today, you've obviously put a lot of thought into it. You've obviously planned it. You've obviously prepared and you have a way to make sure the kids get to where you want them to get without force feeding them the answer. It sounds like you're doing the things you need to be doing as a teacher. And it took her a minute to recognize that, that that is exactly what it was for. But Tom, we never could have gotten there if we didn't take that approach that you're talking about. And if I wasn't really alongside her and supporting her the whole way and making her feel like she really could do well and that she felt trusted, respected, and understood. I mean, those those pieces are so vital to everybody's success. Um, it just shocks me that we don't spend more time and energy doing those things because that's how people are really going to get better. I mean, I could tell her a million things that she could do better. And she could tell me 2 million things that she could do better because she can see so much better where she's struggling because it's in her face every single day. And so she doesn't need me to point out the problems. She needs me to help her find ways to overcome those. And in the rare event, I guess people get to a point where they're so good that they, they can't see any more of their problems. And at that point, you can you can start telling them what they need to do better. But I don't think we have many teachers that are in that stage just yet. I'm pretty sure they're aware that they're where they're struggling. No, I agree. I mean, I, I think this is the thing where you do need to have the openness. I mean, the one thing I would say to that is that one of the, one of the things I always discuss in the first little five minutes of any training that I do is the challenge of, of teachers having good self-awareness. Because you can, like you just said, talk to a teacher who has a list of things they want to do to improve. And those can be sensible things. But there are other situations I've been in where, you know, the teacher, you know, it's funny how you get a little bit of tunnel vision. When you're teaching and you're actually up, standing up, performing, talking, thinking about your resources, thinking about who the business in the room, you don't always see everything. And sometimes you feel like things have gone well because five or six or seven students gave you good answers and you've got some nice work going on and you got through your stuff well and they seem to be enjoying it. And you missed the fact that like five or six other students were really struggling, had no idea what was going on and were missing the point of the lesson. And you didn't pick that up. And someone sitting at the back talking to those children might actually be able to say to you, do you know, actually, so Michael at the back, he was finding that hard and you didn't really pick that up. And you might think, no, I didn't. I've been on both ends of that observation. People telling me I've missed things and me pointing out. And that's definitely true. So we do need to sometimes be open to this idea that feedback and observation is helpful. It only becomes a problem when people feel that they're always being judged. And the consequences of someone saying you've missed this or perhaps you could have done that is sort of the stakes are high. And it, then you get you know, it affects your pay progression or your uh, promotion chances all those sorts of things that, that that's when it gets ridiculous but i come across school cultures of every kind where somewhere they fear being observed 
because it's really high stakes and very stressful and others where they just can't get enough of it. Like they love it. It's just so positive and teachers really embrace it. So you, you do find the extremes of that. And in my own experience, I've had teachers who get all flustered as soon as I walk in the room and other teachers who are begging me to come in every single day because they want me to see what they're doing and give them feedback on what they're doing. That's a great place to be because then it's, it's fun and there's no threat at all. And it's not awkward or uncomfortable because they're inviting you in intentionally for feedback. And it, it really does create a different feeling in the classroom and in the relationship as well. Definitely. I mean, I think that's, that's a sign of a great school culture. It's interesting that the example that you gave there about the the learning objectives written on, uh, on the board, because to me, that's a classic example of, where you've got process dominating the kind of the uh, t- too much over even what the re- evidence base is. So someone someone who's well known like Dylan William, who's a whole guru around formative assessment, and, and the numerous other people, but would say that what what's useful for learners is to know what their learning intentions are to understand them. Like mm-hmm. if you don't know what you're trying to achieve with a piece of writing or a a social studies project or a piece of art or something, if you don't know what success will look like, it's hard to reach that because you don't quite know what you're aiming at. And that's true in lots of different situations. So it's important to communicate learning intentions to students and get them to understand them. But how do you do that? Well, you don't, I would argue that writing them down isn't necessarily even doing that job. It, it, it's almost becomes, so robotic that students write do that every day and they don't even really think about what they mean. So, and I see that with my own eyes. What, what the evidence is that if you make sure people have understood the learning intentions, they can, but that, how, how do you do that? Well, often through discussion, through showing an example and checking the students have understood the thing they're trying to do. What, what writing it down might be here, neither here nor there. It might not make any difference at all to write it down because they've already moved past that and they're actually doing the task. So I think what, what happens is people think, let's just keep keep this safe. The best way to ensure that the teachers are doing this is to get everyone to copy it down. <laughs> but it, it might not be doing the thing they want it to do at all um, because the students haven't had that checking for understanding process enacted. We do need to be careful about judging sort of superficial performances that teachers do going through the motions. And when actually a less provable thing like having a good discussion might be actually what the students would get more out of but because you weren't there when that happened you can't prove it and blah 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 so school leaders who evaluate teachers need to be much more open to the to these sort of things and not try to control to the point where you end up with tick lists and meaninglessness which no one really benefits from in in terms of the students getting doing better yeah, that's absolutely right. Because so, so often we focus on these checklists or processes. And I fear that that is how people could interpret walkthroughs that you're talking about that, oh, I just do these five simple steps and then then I've got it. But really, it's got to be deeper than that, which is why I appreciate you mentioned that early on, that it's not just do these five things, but these are the, the framework for for the rest of what you're doing, which which is so important. On, on that piece, not to to beat a dead horse here, but 
But that idea of doing things because they're part of a checklist or getting through something is not what our kids need from us. And it's not what our teachers need from us either. And so we've got to be more adaptive and flexible to what they need. So the phrase that I always said with my teachers in that school where this story that I shared happened was, what is it that a child is going to learn as a result of being in your class today? That's what the learning objective is. Now, should you write that on the board? That's a pretty good way to do it and make sure everybody knows what the point of us being here is. But that's not the only way or the best way. But that core piece of what are the kids going to get out of being in class today? Like, is today just a practice day? And that was another conversation that we had all the time that teachers would, we met every day for 45 minutes. So they would often have times where they would be practicing a skill that they had learned the previous day. And so they would do that and they would say, well, we don't really have an objective because we're just practicing. And I said, well, practice is a perfectly fine place to start for, for an objective. Like that's what the kids are going to get out of being in class is that. But if you, if you try to narrow it down to something that is just a checklist or, or a box to check off, then you're not going to get the kind of deep learning that most teachers want in our schools that you're going to get the surface. I did it, check, done, move on. And to me, that's not really that worthwhile. We don't really need human teachers for that. We can just have computers do that kind of work. Yeah. I mean, I say, I think it's important. So people listen to thinking that we've described this walkthroughs and things written into five steps. And that what we feel is that if we're trying to capture the best practice that there is, we need to define things in, to some extent, but they, they, they become a kind of, if there's a checklist element to them, it's a checklist for the teacher and their coach to run through when you're discussing an idea. So I've had this example with a number of times. One recent example would be, so one of the strategies we talk about is positive framing. And, and lots of other people do. I mean, so Doug Lamov talks about that. And it's a well-established notion, positive framing in terms of behavior, behavior management language. But what does it mean? Well, I, I had a discussion with a teacher recently where she she saw that on the list and she had the book in her hand and she said, oh, I like that positive framing. And I said, what do you think of it? She said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm always having high expectations of students and I always want them to, to aim really high. So I, I feel like I really do that. And I said, oh, gosh, but that's not actually what positive framing is. Now, positive framing means when you, instead of saying to a student, guys, can you stop talking and, and, and making an, a, a noise? Can you please, you say, guys, can I have you looking and listening? Thanks. You sort of frame it as a positive. Can I have everyone walking, please, rather than saying everyone stop running? You've turned it into positive. So that's what it means. It's a, and, and the way we've set it out on our five steps sort of explains this is what positive framing is. But because she hadn't really read it <laughs> at that stage, she just was going off the name. And this is what we think is important. Like checklisting helps people form shared understanding of what something means and it's not an imposition on you must do this it's like if we're going to do positive framing well this is what we mean by it if you're going to do something like process questions that's another thing off the top of my head say one of the one of the walkthroughs is called process questions but what does that come from barrett rosenshine's principles of instruction he includes a suggestion that more effective teachers typically ask plenty of process questions so what are they well they are Questions like, how did you work it out? And what made you think of that? Where students talk through their, their rationale for their answers. And there's this five steps sort of checklist for making sure we've understood what process questions are. So in that sense, it's an empowering thing for teachers to have clear definitions of the strategies so that they can have meaningful conversations with each other. 
it's not kind of rod for your back to sort of force you to follow rules like a robot. But the spirit of that has to be understood for that to be interpreted properly. I'd be the first to admit that in the wrong hands, the checklist does become a mechanistic and we need to be really careful about that. It's all too easy to get caught in that trap. So I, I appreciate you you pointing that out. But what I really like is that idea of of having the shared understanding. I think that's so important because when we talk about things in education, we can talk about completely different ideas, but use the same word to describe them. And that's not helpful to anybody. And so I really appreciate that that emphasis there. In closing, the the final question I'd like to ask is, what is one thing, Tom, that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? Wow, I love this question. I, I think the, the main thing to, to do would be to, to go and, and make sure you've spent the most time you can afford to seeing your school in action and, and observing it from the lens, through the lens of teachers really working hard and, and seeing if you can think of the ways that you can help them to be a better teacher. So don't judge them. Help think, think of it through that lens. I see that teacher working hard. How can I help them? And if you can think in that way, and then and some of that would be to do with professional learning opportunities they might need more support with, that then that's that then you're onto the right track. So to filter out your judgmental tendencies and think of yourself as an enabler and a supporter and a champion, but then to do it through observing. So get out there, get into lessons. That's what I would I'd want to do. If I was a principal now, I'd be thinking. Obviously, with all the, 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 the COVID restrictions people have had, they, some principals have found that super hard, haven't they? It's been difficult to get out there and see practice. But as soon as people get back to some kind of normality, I think that's one of the most important things principals can really do. Yeah, that, that's great advice. So I would encourage you to check out Tom's writing and his book walkthroughs, but also his other books at teacherhead.com. And if you want to connect more with Tom, you can follow him on Twitter at teacherhead. And once again, Tom, thanks so much for being part of Transformative Principle. It was great having you on the program today. No, thank you, Jethro. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a real honor. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principal. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy, and it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. 
So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.